Hey everybody, this is Sean Horowitz, the Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. And I'm joined again today, after his long hiatus, by Craig Moorhead. Craig, how the heck are you? I'm well rested. Uh, I got rid of the infection. Everyone will be glad to know. Okay. And uh, although I haven't yet regained the use of most of my face, I'm here uh to talk about movies as long as your mouth works dude that's all we care about that's all we need would you like to uh to inform the people where they can find us online and then we'll talk about today's tea up yes uh we uh have a a a website neverheardpodcast.com where you can find all of our episodes you can find write-ups on a lot of the episodes uh Mm -hmm. you can also find us on uh twitter on facebook on instagram uh, you can find our podcast on Spotify and, of course, on iTunes. And uh, anywhere you can leave a review uh, or anywhere that you can subscribe, we ask that you do that because that helps people find us. And really all we're interested in is whether or not people find us. So please do those things and uh, thank you for listening. Absolutely. Craig, Last two weeks, we talked about In a Lonely Place from 1950, the Humphrey Bogart, Gloria Graham movie. And uh, I hope people listen to that and also the tee-up where you professed your love for the noted uh, stepson, uh, Marrier, and possibly mm. statutory rapist, uh, Gloria Graham. That was always fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to have quite as many fireworks with today's movie, but I'm super excited about it. When you brought up Bogart's I thought, man, it's, it's only natural that we do a Lauren Bacall movie. Those two seem inseparable. And uh, we've got one today from 1976, though, well after Bogart's time, called The Shootist. And this is a Western. So that's fun. <laughs> yes, it is. We well, haven't done a ton of those on this show. No. Although we did do one from Nicholas Ray. But uh, we got a different director today. You're going to tell us all about that. But how about we have a nice synopsis first? Please do. The Shootist is about a dying gunfighter who spends his last days looking for a way to die with a minimum amount of pain and a maximum amount of dignity. I feel like they left some words out in that, but I added some just uh, on the on the slide there. Oh. So uh, kudos to me. Well, thank you. But, uh, you know, IMDb, that's what they do. Sure. This movie is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. We hope you'll watch it, but we're going to tell you all you need to know about who made it and what was going on behind the scenes. The Western movie has become an American tradition. Films like Stagecoach, Red River, Shane, High Noon, and The Magnificent Seven will never be forgotten. Now, Dino De Laurentiis presents perhaps the greatest Western of them all, The Shootist. Craig, who made it? Well... These people. It was directed by Don Siegel, who has directed uh, Dirty Harry. Yeah, he directed the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers and mm-hmm. uh, appeared as a taxi driver in, this, in the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He also did The Beguiled with Clint Eastwood that Sofia Coppola remade. Oh, right. I, I haven't finished watching that movie, but man, the, the first five minutes... There's an uncomfortable moment with Clint Eastwood, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, man. Is it uncomfortable as finding your wife in bed with a 13-year-old? 
It's along the same lines. Dude. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe Gloria was beguiled. Maybe. Yep. I'm not making excuses. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, the movie was written by, uh, the novel was written by Glendon Swarthout. Swarthout? Swarthout. That sounds like the most British name possible. It sounds it? very I mean, I don't British. think he is, but yeah. Yeah, Glendon I have Swarthout. no idea. Swarthout. Swarthout? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miles Hood Swarthout. Mm. No relation? Of course. Uh, I, I believe they are related, but I don't like to get into that kind of stuff. I don't judge people. Um... <laughs> He uh, he wrote the script, and he also wrote a, a, the script for a TV movie called A Christmas to Remember, which sadly oh, I... I remember that. I don't. I don't remember no, I don't, it. I don't either. Ironically, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, another gentleman, Scott Hale, uh, worked on, on the screenplay. Uh, he wrote an episode of General Hospital and did acting hmm. in shows like Mission Impossible and Gunsmoke. Ah, yeah. that's fun. The uh, yeah the, the the writers are well rounded on this one seems like mm-hmm. uh, produced by M J Frankovich who also produced the movies The Black Widow and Fugitive Lady which I thought was a kind of a fun name she's a fugitive yeah, that is a lady fun name. yeah mm-hmm. uh, William Self produced uh, the Frank Sinatra Show and the Green Hornet did a lot of TV mm. work before this. Uh, it's interesting. This movie does have a sort of a TV feel. The more I went through this, it's a very sort of TV-centric uh, group of talent, except yeah. for you know most of the stars. Um, <laughs> yeah. The music is by Elmer Bernstein, ah, who everyone okay. loves. Yeah, he yeah. scored To Kill a Mockingbird. He did American Werewolf in London. He did a report on the IBM Exhibition Center. He did the music for something called... A report on the IBM Exhibition Center in 1979. What? Okay. So look for that. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to. No. Uh, the DP is Bruce Surtees. He shot Dirty Harry uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Editing was done by Douglas Stewart, who edited the right stuff. And Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. Hey. Ah. You see? Yeah, there's a connection. The movie stars several actors, the first of which being John Wayne. He plays J.B. Books. You've seen him in Stagecoach. You've seen him in True Grit. You saw him in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, mm-hmm. in which, he, I believe, you also shared the screen with uh, Jimmy Stewart in that as well. You're right. Yep. Lauren Bacall plays Bond Rogers. Her name is Bond. Bond Rogers. <laughs> Yeah, you've seen her in The Big Sleep, To Have and Have Not. You heard her voice in an episode of Family Guy. That's right, Sean. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. did. Okay. Next on the roster is Ron Howard. Yeah, he plays Gil. Little Ronnie Howard? Little Ronnie Howard. He's he's just slightly not little in this, (laughs) uh, but still seems kind of little. Uh, Gillum Rogers. uh, So Ron Howard, he, of course, directed Apollo 13. Um uh, and thousands of other movies. I'm pretty sure it's Solo. somewhere in the thousands of movies. Solo, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, narrated a lot of uh, Arrested Development, if not all of it. And uh, uh, one interesting thing I found was for some reason, he has a credit as playing the lead character in an episode of a show called Nightmare Next Door. Now, Sean, hmm. Nightmare Next Door is a true crime cable show, and I know that I because say, I used to... one of the editors, you. Ah, uh, yes. I used to cut a lot of those episodes. 
I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a mistake <laughs> and that Ron Howard definitely did not appear in any episode of Nightmare Next Door, mainly because he doesn't live in the Delaware, Virginia, Maryland area, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that would make I mean, it very he might tough. be next door to like O.J. Simpson. Right. But let's just say, yeah. Or Phil Spector. Yeah. But our, uh, our, our subject matter usually centered on... Uh, you know, the, the least possible litigious <laughs> stories we could find. So right. you would not uh, have anyone, uh, anyone would actually know involved. So uh, Please do not correct that entry, though. Do not write IMDb no, about correcting that. Leave definitely it, okay? don't. And especially if I'm wrong, and he is in an episode of Nightmare Next wouldn't Door. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? I have a lot of things to figure out, but please let us know. <laughs> now... Next on our list, Jimmy Stewart. That's right, hey. old Jim Stewart. James Stewart playing Dr. Hostetler. I love that name. Um, of course, he, you've seen him in It's a Wonderful Life. You saw him in Vertigo. You saw him in American Tale, Fievel Goes West. Uh, everyone saw that, right? Yeah. You remember who he was in with, uh, Amer- uh, in It's a Wonderful Life with? Yeah, Gloria Graham. So yeah. I, I feel like I, I'm safe if I can love her from 1942 <laughs> to 1950. Yep. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, but next, uh, yeah, don't stop slowing me down, Sean. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, with all your talk of scruples. Um, Harry Morgan. Now, you know, uh, he plays Marshall Thibodeau and uh, he's from MASH. He was on Dragnet. Mm-hmm. You saw him in High Noon. Harry Morgan is just... Uh, He's one of those actors who, as soon as he shows up, you just feel like a calm comes over you because you just feel like you're in good hands. Uh-huh. Harry Morgan. Nobody hates Harry Morgan. He's the best. John Carradine plays Beckham. You saw him in Stagecoach, Sean. You saw him in The Howling, which I think you watch every Saturday. I do, yeah. And uh, finally, we have Scatman Crothers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Scatman Crothers. He plays yes. Moses. He's from The Shining. He's from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's from that one story in Twilight Zone, the movie. He's from Aristocrats. Or, uh, yes, mm-hmm. Aristocats. Thank you. Nightmare Next Door. Yeah, everything. And Nightmare Next Door. He's in uh, <laughs> People's Court. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's, that's our most noteworthy cast, as far as I can tell. There were, again, a lot of uncredited actors Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a very lengthy list of uncredited actors in this one. And I think it's mainly because, from what I understand, uh, the beginning of the movie uses a lot of clips from old John Wayne movies. And, yes, I, I read about that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you may know more about that than I do. So, Sean, I'm going to turn the show over to your able hands. Take us away. I don't really know much more about that specific thing, and I, I kind of skipped some of it because I was like, well, I don't want this whole thing spoiled for me. But uh, yeah. let's just say SAG was probably not doing their job if there's all these uncredited people. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Craig. That's me. Producer Mike Frankovich, as you mentioned, uh, he purchased the movie rights to Glendon Swathout's novel. Mm. And uh, after that happened and was announced... John Wayne himself expressed a strong desire to play this title character. And uh, he thought there were similarities to a movie called The Gunfighter and the character in that movie, which was a role he had turned down 25 years previously. So here's a chance to make up for uh, maybe some past regrets, right? Yeah. 
Problem is, uh, they weren't so keen on John Wayne initially because they were worried about his health and his stamina issues because there had been some problems along those lines while he was filming the sequel to True Grit called Rooster Cogburn. Oh, yeah. Right? Which is a movie I have not seen and don't know if I want to just because I love True Grit, the book, so much. So anyway, Paul Newman was offered the role. He passed. George C. Scott passed. Charles Bronson, who I, maybe Siegel has a connection with, I'm not sure, uh, passed. Gene Hackman and, of course, Clint Eastwood as well. Offered the roles, all passed. They all seem a good bit younger than Wayne, with the exception of maybe George C. Scott. Maybe Newman at that time, I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. Finally, they came to their senses. It was offered to John Wayne. And... Uh, Despite all of that, man, he still had quite a stronghold on this movie. His contract gave him script approval, and he made a number of major and minor changes, including uh, changing some locations and also aspects of the ending, which, again, I didn't quite read too much into yet because I haven't seen the movie. Right. He's also responsible for a lot of the casting decisions. Lauren Bacall, Jimmy Stewart, Richard Boone, uh, what was it, David Carradine? There's so many Carradines, I can't keep them straight. And my uh, Rolodex Dean is John Carradine, sorry. Uh, they were all personal friends and cast at his request. James Stewart had not worked in years because he had a severe hearing impairment. I didn't know that. Did you, Craig? Oh, wow. No, I had no idea. But he did accept the role as a favor to John Wayne. And yeah, they had only done two movies together, which seems kind of surprising. Uh, How the West Was One was the other one. Uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, as you mentioned. Both of those, I think, were filmed in the same year, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, another casting stipulation, Craig. John Wayne's horse. Naturally, oh, right? Of course. <laughs> the horse was named Dollar. That's with two O's, not an A. And uh, it had been a true grit among several others that Wayne had been in. And John Wayne had actually negotiated the exclusive movie rights to this horse from the horse's owner, Dick Webb. And uh, he requested script changes, enabling him to mention Dollar's name several times in this movie. So it wasn't that nice of him. He must have loved that freaking horse. Um, There was some mention, and I saw this in a couple places, one of which... Maybe there's some validity. Maybe there's more to this than... Anyway, reports of friction between John Wayne and Don Siegel over all this control that John Wayne had. But Don Siegel at least demissed it publicly and is quoted as having saying, John Wayne and I had plenty... Or John Wayne had plenty of his own ideas, some I liked, which gave me inspiration, and some I didn't like. But we didn't fight over any of it. We liked each other and respected each other. That's nice of him to say. Yeah. Who knows exactly what the truth is? Indeed. They shot from January 13th to April 5th in 1976. They shot in Carson City in Reno, Nevada, and also on the WB lot, or at least in the sound stages, even though this is a Paramount movie. I wonder if Paramount got some, or WB got some money there. Uh, John Wayne was 69 at the time of filming this. Jimmy Stewart was 68, and Lauren Bacall was a good bit younger. I didn't realize uh, she was only 52. Wait, uh, Jimmy Stewart was 68? 68. Because I've yep. seen his face in this, he in looks this movie. He old as he hell. He old. I, I wonder, yeah. if, like, did, did they age him at all? 
I don't know, man. I because I thought the same thing. I thought Wayne surely like he looks older than sixty nine as well, and also just like knowing about the health problems and stuff. I, I don't know, man. These guys, you know, they got an earlier start. So if you're, you know, twenty something in the twenties, you know, uh, fifty years later, here you are. Uh, anyway, yeah. That's not to say that there weren't problems given their age. Uh, there's one scene in specific that I guess Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne both muffled their lines over a long series of takes. And that was something that John Wayne was not used to doing. He was used to doing very few takes. Yeah. Uh, Don Siegel reportedly finally told them, uh, you really just need to try harder. <laughs> and John Wayne quote said, uh, if you want the scene done better, and they said that he said this jokingly, you'd better get yourself a couple of better actors. And uh, later, John Wayne commented privately that Jimmy Stewart knew his lines, but he had difficulty hearing his cues. Yeah. Uh, which is, it, it's just kind of sad. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if he was wearing a hearing aid or not, or if he could have been wearing a hearing aid. But anyway, there were also reports, and I, I saw, like, this even pops up in the Google search if you look for the shooters that John Wayne was terminally ill during the making of this. And that's reportedly not the case. But he had been diagnosed with lung cancer in 1964. I think he smoked like a chimney for most of his life, like yeah. a lot of people did back then. Uh, but he had his left lung and several ribs removed. Holy cow. Prior to this movie. And, uh, but after that, they said he was you know, essentially cancer-free up until 1979. Uh, it reappeared, and he died that year. Um, and it said, although his compromised lung capacity made breathing difficult uh, at Carson City's altitude, they did have to shoot production down for a week because he got the flu. Although, you know, anytime you've gone through that illness, you get the flu. That's more troubling than if like you and I just get the flu right now. Right. Right. Uh, they said that by the time he was up and, and moving again, Don Siegel got the flu and producer Frankovich actually directed a few days of the shoot according oh, wow. to an article on eventsnevada.com which may have been written by one of the swarthouts himself uh -huh. uh, but it's a very lengthy article it was interesting stuff there anyway uh but they said that john wayne completed the filming without further incident and no real significant medical con medical concerns and he even shot a psa which i'm going to go find on youtube if i can for the national cancer society uh, I'm assuming it had something to do with, with not smoking, hopefully. And, uh, it, but it made mention of this specific film, so I'll, I'm going to look into that a little bit more. Uh, the movie came out in New York on August 11th and was in theaters elsewhere, Craig, on August 20th, 1976, which means the day before this episode drops will be its 43rd birthday, Craig. So happy birthday oh, to this happy movie. Happy right? birthday. 43, almost as old as I am. Uh, in Brazil, this movie was known as O Ultimo Pistolero, which translates to The Last Gunslinger. And in Mexico, it was Gatilero, which translates to Trigger. Maybe it's Gatillero, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Tagline's got one for you. He's got to face a gunfight once more to live up to his legend. Once more to win just one more time. That is on the poster, which it's, it's a beautiful poster. I love those painted posters, and this is one of them. Yeah. Or, uh, if it's not painted, it's beautifully illustrated nonetheless. It's worth checking out. 
good reviews for this movie. It was named one of the 10 best films of the year by the National Board of Review. Roger Ebert also had it at number 10 on his top 10 that year. Uh, Richard Eater in the New York Times said the movie, quote, is often funny. It is sometimes telling. And John Wayne, James Stewart, and Lauren Bacall all possess that particular mystery of performance that allows them to touch us even when they are ridiculous. But Mr. Siegel's lack of form and fidelity to his own story means that as the movie proceeds, even those things that are charming turn to lead. There's always one guy, you know? There's yeah. always one guy. Ruining the party. <laughs> no, but uh, obviously, um, I, I think this movie is most notable because it was John Wayne's last movie. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times actors and filmmakers, they don't get to have a very good final film. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that this will be enjoyable and hold up even today, given... The fact that people like Ebert and the National Board of Review considered it so highly in in 1976, uh, when you know there's a whole just generation of completely different movies than what I imagine this one's going to be uh, ripping through Hollywood at the time. And uh, obviously, um, I don't know. Maybe hindsight has been favorable to this movie as you might expect because of it being John Wayne's last movie. Philip Horn at the Telegraph wrote in 2010 that the shootus is a fitting memorial to a great star and leaves his image indelibly fixed on our imagination. That article at eventsnevada.com said, quote, the movie became a big hit on television, playing cable network primetime and syndicated television innumerable times, selling countless video cassettes for Paramount. In a 1995 survey taken among 100 members of the Western Writers of America, the shootus made a clean sweep voted by them one of the 12 greatest Western novels ever written, and as well as one of the 15 finest Western motion pictures ever made. Which is, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good for being a group of peers in uh, a movie I'd never heard of. So <laughs> Yeah, I would say. Yay me. Uh, box office, the movie made over $13 million domestically that year. I have no idea what the budget was. Uh, I looked at this again, and... I cannot tell where that finished on the year. One place had it at 50th, but I'm not convinced that that's accurate. Uh, you know, we talked about 76, Craig, when we talked about Bugsy Malone. Mm -hmm. And looking again at the box office, the top 10, I found all kinds of varying results. But I'm going to go back over what Wikipedia has just one more time. Uh, Rocky was number one. To Fly, which was that IMAX documentary we talked about, was number two, which still seems crazy to me. Uh, the Barbra Streisand, A Star is Born, All the President's Men, The Omen, In Search of Noah's Ark, King Kong, Silver Streak, The Enforcer, and Midway were listed as the top ten on Wikipedia. And really, if you want more on this year... Go listen to that tee up on Bugsy Malone. I'm not going to get into the other movies from that year. I mean, Taxi Driver came out there that year. There were Bad News Bears. There's a lot of great notable movies from that year, 76. I'm not going to do the Oscars again. Uh, <laughs> you know, we did it. All the President's Men, I think, was a big movie of the year uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, the Shootist was nominated for one Academy Award for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, and it did not win. In fact, it did lose to all the president's men, which I don't know if you've seen lately. I have. I've, 
you know, the sets are fine, but it's it's not a you know, it's a movie that's told in the current time period. Right. And the, the other nominees yeah, were, were there were several uh, period pieces and uh, Logan's Run. It was a sci-fi thing. So I don't, I don't know. This is one of those Academy things. Uh, Lauren Bacall was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Actress for this movie. And Ron Howard, the little Ronnie Howard, got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And Screenwriter got a Golden Globe nomination as well. Wow. It didn't win a damn thing, Craig, at any of these things, sadly. But we'll be the final judge on this movie, I think, as everyone wants us to be yeah, and is yeah. looking for us to be. Yeah, I uh, think uh, we can clear a lot of stuff up. I'm hoping so. Uh, lastly, 1976, uh, our buddy uh, and actor Paul Schneider of All Little Girls, mm-hmm. Assassination of Jesse James by Carol Robert Ford. He was, he was birthed. March 16th of that year, there were a lot of notable actors uh, born in 1976, including Joey Lawrence and Fred Savage. So let's end on a happy note. Yeah, they've all contributed. That's it. I'm excited to see this. I really I don't know anything beyond what we've learned today uh, about <laughs> the plot of this movie or what it's going to be like seeing John Wayne in 1976. You know, I mean, that's only... When was uh, Full Metal Jacket? Uh, was that 80? No, Shining was 80. I mean, less than a decade later, he's like a punchline. Right? He was probably already a punchline in 76, right? A um, little bit. So it'll be interesting to see that. And again, it's on Amazon Prime. Craig, any last words? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we ganged up on Gloria Graham last time, but let's keep in mind <laughs> that I'm pretty sure John Wayne is, you know, pretty much a racist. Yeah, there were some so racist moments. Uh, let's keep that in mind. Yeah, and Ron Howard too, right? Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. I'm you don't kidding. you don't get don't cast know. in Nightmare Next Door by being a good person. Let's right. just say that. Yeah. Yep. What if he was the Nightmare Next Door in that episode? Uh, I mean, it could be. Good. On that note, come back next time. We'll talk about it in detail, and uh, yeah, check it out before we do. We'll talk then. All Bye. right then. See you later. Bloop.